Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the House of X Book Club. I'm your host, Rob, and I'm with the uh, the gentleman of the Quiet Council. Um, today, this episode, we're going to cover X-Men number 13 and X-Men number 14, which has, uh, well, the finish up the uh, story about the Juggernaut and the introduction of the Sentinels. But before we go into it, I want to int or introduce or at least... Uh, Say hi to, to the people here at the table. Uh, we're going to start with Roger. How's it going, Rog? I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? Pretty good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, also joining us is Shane once again. Shane, hey. I just would like to say if we could go one episode of this show without Roger giving us the finger or or showing us his butthole, I would be greatly appreciative. <laughs> I I. Oh, Thanks, Raj. Uh, I was going to say, well, at least he's got his pants on, but that's not, that's not the case. Um, <laughs> I don't know how he's doing it through his pants. I, I didn't realize that they... <laughs> and then, and then It's a very us. loose weave, I'll just say that. <laughs> Low thread count. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so joining us for the second time is, or excuse me, for the, I guess the third time is, uh, is our good friend Drew and Drew, I don't know if you knew what you were getting into when you thought, Hey, I'll join the house. Of <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just glad that we have such a free spirit as Roger in here with us. <laughs> I know. I know. He's, he's a, he's a beautiful child that Roger. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, yeah. I love you. you know. <laughs> I love you too. I'm just not ready for a commitment. <laughs> oh, we're all going. It's been nuts 30 here. years, dude. How, how much longer do I have to wait? <laughs> oh, all right. So, um, as I said, we're going to talk about X-Men 13 and X-Men 14 and X-Men 13 was written by Stan Lee, layouts again by Jack Kirby, and pencils by Jay Gavin. You all know Jay Gavin, right? Sounds like like a, a he sounds like he should be a mage of some sort. It's a good I, wizard's I, name. Yeah. Well, I, I always go back to that uh, Saturday Night Live skit. Jay Gavin, male prostitute. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's going <laughs> but, back a day. Yeah, it's going. I know. I'm really not that old. That was before my time. So Jay Gavin is an interesting fellow. Okay, uh, apparently, it was Stan who brought uh, Werner Roth, the artist Werner Roth, to Atlas Comics in 1953, and he did it because he liked the way that uh, Werner drew women. Uh, Werner Roth was really big into drawing romance comics at DC. Um, and then he went back to Marvel to work on the X-Men. So because he was still working for DC at the time, he used the son, his son's names to come up with the name Jay Gavin. That way his editor wouldn't know or his publisher wouldn't know that he was also moonlighting at Marvel Comics doing the X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's just really cool. It's just this like secret, top secret like thing where he, you know, probably has to sneak in a back door someplace. And uh, at any rate, uh, but his cover, his cover got blown because uh, in Fantastic Four number fifty four, Fantastic Four number fifty four, 
there was they had a thing called the bullpen bulletins where they'd talk about artists and writers and stuff going on. Um, X-Men writer at the time, Roy Thomas, said that he felt that Roth was a really great artist. Um, at any rate, uh, his cover was blown in the bull, bull excuse me, the bullpen bulletins. And everybody knew that Jay Gavin was Werner Roth. Um, now, later, Roy Thomas did say that Roth was really great at, uh, at drawing characters. But he also said that even though he was a good artist, he wasn't a good fit for the X-Men. And that was, it's interesting because that is Roy Thomas's, that's his opinion. That's his feeling. I personally think Werner Roth, excuse me, Jay Gavin, was a great artist for the X-Men. But according to Thomas, he didn't feel he was suited because X-Men was an action comic, not a not a romance, not a not a romance or a character-driven book. It wasn't a, it wasn't a soap opera, which is hilarious because anybody who has ever read the fucking X-Men knows it's a goddamn soap opera. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. I will say that I I like a lot of his art in this book, but the one thing that I don't like is his art for the Juggernaut. Which is really unfortunate because he's the featured character, but he, <laughs> he 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 looks like he has to take a shit in every single panel he's in. Left of page two, right there. Yeah, it might have to do with the fact that he can't move his neck, um, or he's just in a big brown suit. <laughs> yeah. So I want to say this like about going back to that quote by Roy Thomas. Now I respect Roy Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Here, we go. <laughs> Here we go. I also love his writing. He is awesome. He has written everything from the X-Men Avengers, Conan to Star Wars. I mean, that guy is fucking awesome. Uh, at any rate, I love him. Um, some of my favorite Roy Thomas, I think, was a what if issue. I do think that comment I made was bullshit. So <laughs> there's there is no bigger soap opera in comics than the X-Men. Um yeah, so so a lot a lot goes down here in in this this issue now the juggernaut has finally reached the x-mansion and he is just flat out i am gonna kill charles xavier ah. you don't, you're not crazy about the art on the juggernaut huh i no i i really do think that everything else in this this book is really good but even like i mean i guess i will say that like in on page three when it doesn't show the lower half of his body that picture of the just the juggernaut's face and hands is really good yeah. But other than that, it looks like he's got a, a major storm of brewing and mm -hmm. is. <laughs> he's really blocky looking. He is. I think the juggernaut is tough to draw, which is why last issue he was mostly drawn through, you know, a haze or behind <laughs> something or, you know. Oh, I should say also the inks on this are by Joe Sennett, who I think is a really good inker and he works really well with Alex Toth's artwork. I think it's great. So. Um, a lot of things they talk about a lot of things here. Okay. They're, they go back to one thing this issue does is it dates the storyline. We kind of know when it takes place because Xavier talks back into the past about Korea mm -hmm. and how they were in Korea together. He and his stepbrother. It's got me thinking about one of the, one of the, the reasons I wanted to even get this book club together was because I wonder about things like misogyny and racism and how they were worked into a storyline or how they were just not even considered when mm -hmm. writing a storyline 
um, I think later on in continuity in in comics of the years, it's retconned not to be a specific country. It's just like a jungle someplace. Uh, but here it's flat out. They he mentions the name Korea, though. Um, so I, I wonder, you know, how that fits into things like, I don't know, racism or or something like that. You know, uh, 1960s, 1940s, 50s, and 60s. There was a lot of talk about commies and and the Reds and the Russians and and stuff like that. They were in a lot of comic books. So here in 1960, or what is this? 1960. For 65, um, you know, people aren't crazy about Korea. You know, it's it's a thing that happened. So well, you're only, what, five, six yeah. years out of the war at that point. Right, right. Now, there's another thing that happens, which is that that teleporting situation that Gene can do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's basically just moving somebody with her mind. But uh, she does this to, to Kane, of course, to Juggernaut. Um, there was another point, I think it was issue two, where this similar thing happened. And I, I really think it was just the writer forgetting what word he was supposed to write. Mm-hmm. Because they, they called it something, it wasn't telekinesis, it was something, Teleport. teleportation. Yeah, something, it was something random in, in issue two. And then in this one, it was yeah. teleportation powers. Yeah. Yeah. No, kinda... they called it, they called it teleportation for the first couple issues. Then they went to telekinesis. Yeah. And then they now then they went back to teleportation here for some reason. Yeah, it was kind of jarring um, reading it, honestly. They've also been calling it instead of mutant powers, they've been calling it X power, which I, mm. I think is <laughs> interesting, an interesting phrase. So I just looked up something. I, I looked up Stanley's birthday, and it's mm-hmm. 1922, mm-hmm. and he was definitely in World War II. So oh yeah, I I I'm not surprised that he's talking about you know korea and and things like that and there's and no doubt that there's going to be a little bit of racism that creeps in and because they were the enemy i mean yeah right it's it's understandable that that generation saw things that way mm-hmm. well this issue isn't about koreans or korea no. really it's about no, not uh, really the crimson gem of Sidorak. Sidorak? Sidorak? i don't know how do you guys I- pronounce it it changed every time I read it, to be honest. <laughs> I always thought it was it's, just Sidorak. Yeah. It's pronounced Sinkevich. Sinkovitz. It's Sinkevich. Yes. That's he's such a such a nice dude that like he assumes that everyone is gonna pronounce his name wrong. And he actually put it spelled did it phonetically on his business cards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marvel at one point released a uh it's in one of their one of their issues i actually have a screen cap of it a little uh, a little box that has i think 15 artists and writers for marvel and it has their names as well as a phonetic phonetic spelling so that (laughs) so you could say it correctly (laughs) um and sinkevich is definitely one of those that's in there um i think that's hilarious i I love some of the names of some of the guys that work in comics, like Marv Wolfman, for instance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. I love think, that, yeah. Yeah. If you got a name like Marv Wolfman, just fucking own it. Yeah. Own it. <laughs> Let me ask, what is the Mento Helmet? Oh, dude, that was one of the notes I had for this, this issue. I mean, we keep seeing all kinds of new, like, there's references to ESP, there's new technology he uses. There's technology that in other issues that uh, 
Magneto uses to boost their powers. A lot of science fiction stuff in this. Mm-hmm. This so, I think that yeah. this is the helmet that that he won because he saved up a bunch of wrappers from Mentos <laughs> and <laughs> sent away and got this helmet. <laughs> well, it it looks pretty cool. I mean, it looks like a, a set of like really huge headphones with like you know kind of a uh, kind of a, a coil around you know the top and then this really cool screen with like a red squiggle on it i think it looks pretty tight it's uh definitely something i'd wear um i, I feel like devo really missed an opportunity to recreate this for their stage act mm-hmm. but it's because it, yeah it would have been perfect i feel like yeah, just yeah. on a on like on a real world note i feel like this helmet that he's wearing was very much inspired by like like we were just talking about World War Two, by World War Two, like bomber bay crew helmets. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it was just we were just sense. talking about World War Two, but that's like what I'm thinking of when I'm looking at it right now. It looks that's like a bomber. Cool. That's it does. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Why does he have a microphone and headset? I mean, why isn't it just a helmet to amplify its power? Uh, because it wouldn't look as cool, Raj. Come on. I guess. Um, <laughs> So, so what he's doing with the Mento helmet right now is Juggernaut's here, and he's like, "Oh my God, we're gonna die! <laughs> I better, I better send out, send out for help, right?" Or he's trying to amplify. What it is is he's trying to amplify his his brain waves so that he can really take out the Juggernaut because the Juggernaut's helmet and his costume or whatever is indestructible. You know, he's got a, a force field around him. He's got this shit that you can't penetrate with your mind so the mental helmet is expanding his powers and of course it gets to a point where he's like my head's gonna explode i gotta i gotta like discharge some of this extra mind power so he shoots it out there and of course what it does is it it kind of catches the attention of some people in the marvel universe um well which there was a couple of uh, you know of uh blanking on the word episodes back we were talking about how uh random people don't know who the x-men are mm-hmm. this is how he mind wipes the city yep this well it right dawns here. on me <laughs> that that is very true so one of the first groups that it connects with is the teen brigade and the teen brigade are pretty well known in marvel comics i think by this time um the teen brigade was uh in in the hulk was hulk and avengers was led by rick jones as a teenager and uh, they're probably the the dicks that conned him into going out to the gamma testing site that you know uh he went out to play his harmonica and so bruce banner had to save him so he didn't get his ass blown up but um (laughs) this is the team brigade and they're like all right what's going on oh my god i can hear this guy talking yeah but he's not talking on a headset it's through our brains um what do they do with that information they kind of don't do shit with it they ignore it also Matt Murdock is in the middle of a dang trial and he suddenly like blanks out because he hears Professor X talking to him through his brain. <laughs> and the judge is like, excuse me, sir, Mr. Murdock, do you hear? Hell, I'm talking to you. And uh, so he's got to like kind of, you know, gather his thoughts to to kind of get his shit back together. But I, I found that really kind of kind of cool because here we are connecting, connecting characters in the Marvel universe, you know. This is another point where we're saying these guys all exist at the same time mm-hmm. in the same in the same place, kind of. Um, you know, meanwhile, all this is happening. Juggernaut is just tearing through the mansion, just beating up all the X-Men. 
and again, like last issue, this kind of has me on the edge of my seat. I feel the tension building. I feel like the, you know, something better, Professor X better do something quick because Juggernaut is coming up the stairs and going to kick his butt. <laughs> I felt the opposite about it. Oh, really? Nice. I thought it was him trying to am amplify his powers just took way too long. Like the, nothing was happening. They were basically mm -hmm. like, oh, we're going to hide in this room the entire issue while Professor X <laughs> just like uses this weird machine and we go across New York City seeing all these random people. Meanwhile, Juggernaut's breaking through every single door and we're just going to cower here in this room and wait for somebody to come save us. Mm -hmm. Like it. It you, you know, it, it bringing that out up. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I get that. Bringing that up, it he tells the X Men to go, go out and and try to slow the Juggernaut down, and then he says this, and I quote: "Don't go, girl. I need you here." To Jean Grey, "Don't go, girl." I mean, I kind of expected like a wink and a, a kiss blown or something. You know, it's just like, <laughs> kind of, kind of language is that? Mm -hmm. Girl, you know it's true. <laughs> so, and, and and my my question is is why does he need her? Because she doesn't do anything except push him around in a wheelchair up there, you know, while he's trying to amplify his brain powers. The only way I can make that make sense in my head is knowing future X Men. Like knowing Jean Grey will soon be like a, a telepath like him and equally as powerful, mm -hmm. but she isn't right now. So why is she there? Right. It's a good question. A good question. In this issue, they also bring up the point that Cyclops's eye beams must be rechargeable. <laughs> like he uses them until he can't use them anymore. Now I got to rest for about thirty minutes, but that sucks because Juggernaut's here beating everybody up. Um, yeah, they, it, there's it, that happens at some point with everybody, but it's not consistent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it yeah. Went, I think it was the it was the Kazar book where they were talking about how Angel would be tired because he had his wings strapped down for a little while, and but he spent weeks earlier in that same issue. They talked about how he'd had him strapped down for weeks and. And it didn't seem to phase him one bit. Yeah. There was definitely an issue where uh, Bobby Drake couldn't use his ice powers because he had used too much of it, too. And, they, and when they went on the cruise to go find Lucifer, Cyclops Cyclops had to use his eye beam for something, and it, <laughs> it, it got him plum tuckered out. Yeah, it was, he had to, he had to, like, blast a, uh... Uh, an iceberg that the ship was going to hit. That's right. Yeah. That's what yeah. that's right. Mm -hmm. It's almost like Jean Grey lifting Beast up and going, "Oh, that makes me tired." Um, <laughs> it's and it's not even that they're they're like exhausted. It's just like, "Oh, that made me sleepy. I want to go take. <laughs> I need a nap now." <laughs> well, uh, so that that beam or that exchange of exchange of uh, discharge of energy, brain energy, uh, also catches the attention of the Human Torch, which I find pretty interesting. Now, what I do think is cool is how they kind of introduce the Human Torch. He's it's like hanging out with some guys with a race car, and he catches he catches that that brain wave and is like, ah, I think I need I think I need to go help. So he takes off. And what I really like about this segment, the section is is the artwork itself. 
Like this is where Warner uh, Jay Gavin, excuse me, uh, Jay Gavin's artwork <laughs> is is a is a lot different than the art we've been looking at, and it's it's really neat. I think it's a it's good art, like you know, good art for the time. He's got all the right amount of knuckles. He has, um, you know, <laughs> this, this great head of hair and this like literally this surprised look on his face, like, holy shit, what am I hearing in my head right now? Um, and I just think it's really cool. And not only that, but his hands don't look like a tree, the roots of a tree that have been unearthed by a tornado. Yeah. No, which no, is it's, it's good. It's good art. I mean, it's accurate, you know. Um, I and really, then you have, of course. Yeah, I, enjoy, I really enjoyed the Speed Racer inspired race car. Ah, totally. Yeah, yeah that that's race, really cool. Race car is something. Um, you do so, see you, you do see the romance book art though. Yeah, on exactly. page on page ten. Mm -hmm. it, it with there's the the second panel is Jean Grey looking at Professor X, and you're like, yes, this is you know, this is love in the time of cholera art right there. <laughs> <laughs> She she does have this like I don't know if it's been used or or what that look is but he uh, yeah wow <laughs> it is it's an odd it's an odd pose and but that is that's like the the classic romance yeah. book pose it is um and and what it is 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 of course you know now they're like wait we can use the human torch to help us. And when I say we can use the Human Torch, I'm sorry. That's exactly what Professor Dix does to him. He uses him. Yep. Dirty and cheap. He brings him in <laughs> and he says, all right, I'll, I need you to fly circles of fire around the juggernaut. And he's like, and, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I find is funny is it's like anybody could have really done that kind of thing. Like Iceman could have flown circles of ice around juggernaut do basically the same thing that you know that human torch does um there's a quote but, from professor x to the human flame that really got me on uh page 15 it's the last panel and it's this is the quote it says when you arrive you will follow my commands implicitly there mm -hmm. is more at stake than you can imagine like yeah okay this dude's on another superhero team he doesn't know who you are because you're in the closet still but he's going to follow your commands implicitly sure that Which I got to say is fucking ridiculous because the the Fantastic Four has already fought the X-Men because Professor Xavier in Fantastic Four's own comic book sent the X-Men over there yeah. to capture, no, to to destroy the Fantastic Four. Yeah, because he was being controlled by the mad thinker, but they didn't, they weren't supposed to know that even though one of them did. Yeah, but um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah they, right. they, they were like they, yeah. Professor X sent them all to destroy the Fantastic Four, and, and they're like, "Why are you guys being dicks?" They're like, yeah. well, yeah. Professor no X questions. told us to. No yeah. questions asked. Just do it. You know, just <laughs> so so. Um, at any rate, so I find this bit interesting because of the past experiences that the Fantastic Four has had with with the X Men. Human Torch is like, well, I got to go help him, you know? And so he does. Uh, and yeah, they do everything from like freezing the juggernaut in a block of ice. Cyclops uses his optic beam to dig a trench to knock, you know, to knock the juggernaut down into it. And juggernaut, of course, punches holes and climbs out of it. But uh, 
you know, they basically, each of them does their own thing to kind of slow him down a bit while Prof is trying to um, use his expanded brain power to do a thing too. Um, now there's one thing that I find kind of cool is that Juggernaut beats the shit out of all the X-Men. Like he pounds on Beast's foot. He, you know, he just, I mean, they're all in hospital beds by the time this episode, this issue ends, you know, <laughs> except, and, for Jane. Uh, except for Jane. Cause you know, Xavier needed her and she just kind of pushed the wheelchair. That's mm-hmm. the thing that saved her. Um, Chivalry who says it's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now, uh, now of course, all the stuff they put in, they, they send him to the danger room where uh, all of the, you know, all the fun, all the fun traps and whatnot in the danger room also kind of slowing down. And really what it comes down to is, is that uh, human torch was useless. It did nothing. <laughs> he was just a distraction. Essentially. He was, he was a distraction. Uh, you know, well, I mean, but they had to take advantage of it because, you know, he was attracted to the professor's emissions. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, they, uh, they do, you know, Human Torch does does uh, does some job. They manage to uh, get in there and wiggle off the Juggernaut's helmet, right? Yeah. Um, and then you know, Professor X does his whammy, and that that does it. Now, it's I find it interesting that it was Angel that just swoops down and scoops up his his hat and pulls his helmet off, uh, which now he's vulnerable to Professor X's mind blast. And uh, I don't know if anything, doesn't this just piss him off even more? Doesn't it make him even more angry? Yeah, you would think so. The way that I made it made sense in my head was like um, his his helmet was essentially the same thing as Magneto's helmet in the movies where mm-hmm. that's, yeah. he used it to block the psychic thing. So as soon as the helmet was removed, then perfects are... Professor X could mind wipe him like he does everyone. Now that does actually work its way into the comics, uh, you know, a little bit into the future from what we're reading now, but Magneto does end up with a helmet that blocks mental powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's exactly right. Now it also, you know, it also tells you that this helmet creates the force field that just keeps him safe. I mean, he's, he is, he's more vulnerable without it. Um, but f- Professor X gives like this, this speech about how if, see if I can find it here. Things had been different. We might have been friends. We might have truly been brothers, but you would have it no other way. This final chapter was written when we first met. This is the only way it could have ended. Like, damn, Xavier, that sounds pretty final, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And then of course, Juggernaut dropped to the ground. Um, and then comes the part that I know Roger would be shaking his head at, but uh, when Juggernaut drops, Human Torch says, oh my God, all you did was look at him. Yeah. And Xavier's like, yep, that's best you think so. Right now, I'm going to whammy you and erase your mind. <laughs> that was that irritated me so much. <laughs> um, now, given the fact that, that they've already hung out well okay so xavier didn't hang out with the fantastic four in that in that issue 
but they did hang out with the, you know, the X-Men did hang out with the Fantastic Four. Um, so he, why does he have to do this? Why does he have to wipe the Human Torch's mind of, of this happening? I mean, I, I don't see that. I don't see the reason be- behind that. Because he's a dick. There isn't yeah. one other than the fact that he just loves to mind wipe people. Yeah. That's, that's his kink. Ah, that's his kink. Yeah. He's going to flashy thingy. Yeah. <laughs> the Human Torch. <laughs> so at any rate, that uh, damn. One one other thing that irritated me about this issue, about the Human Torch in particular, was it was implied at some point when he was still reaching out to the Human Torch that the Human Torch would be useful in this fight because he was not a mutant. And... Therefore, his powers would be stronger against the Juggernaut than their mutant powers. And yet, mm. that never came to fruition at all. Ah, yeah, you're right about that. That's very true. No point at all. <laughs> no point doing it at all. Like, yeah, um, fly, fly around him in a circle and then act like a flashbang grenade and then we'll steal his helmet. And that's yeah. it. All right. Well, I just want to wrap up this particular issue by asking you guys thumbs up or thumbs down. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. See, I like this one better than the last one because yeah. it made more sense. So I give this one a thumbs up. Fantastic. I also give it a thumbs up. And partly, uh, I, I will say that I felt like the last issue had more uh, more of a tension, you know, it built up more of a, an exciting tension. Um, but I really enjoyed the uh i guess the, i really enjoyed the art i really enjoyed you know Werner roth's uh, style and um i don't know it, it it was cool and i i think i think you're right about i liked it all except for the juggernaut who i just, i really think is just hard to get right you know i think he's just really hard to draw um again i, I mentioned before that stan lee wouldn't be long for this book after this uh, he Kirby will leave first, and then Stan follows him. Um, in my opinion, uh, these two issues, the la- this uh, thirteen and fourteen coming up, mm-hmm. are two of his best issues written, like writing wise. Um, yeah, no, I they... feel like, uh, yeah, I would have to agree. I think that everything we've read so far, um, fourteen is probably my favorite issue so far. Well, 13, 13 and 14 are definitely uh, more complex. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, there I'd is say- a lot more happening storyline-wise in this issue than I really give it credit for, but it just, none of it pays off for me. Okay. Yeah, see, and my thought, my thought with it was, was that, like I said, the what you said that there was some tension in issue number uh, 12, mm-hmm. but it all, for me, it felt very forced. Yeah. Like I can see that that, you know, we have to, we have to, you know, everyone hurry. So I can tell you this story <laughs> and everyone, it just, that, and, and, and then that over and over and over again was very, for me, it was very frustrating. Yeah. Well, okay. and th- there was more of that because of the, uh, you know, Slow him down while I magnify my brain power. So I I just had a thought about issue twelve and your your issues with it, and 
Professor Xavier is a telepath. So what if in all those long pauses where he was telling a story, he was really just like, it, they were short pauses, but he was forcing his thoughts into their brain, like force feeding him the origin story. So it was really yeah. just like blip, blip, blip. You know, just to the okay. reader, it took a long time. Yeah. So well, later, <laughs> later on in continuity, he can take moments to teach Kitty Pride how to speak Russian. Um, but he can't take moments to tell the backstory of the juggernaut. You know, <laughs> in issue number 12. I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what it was. I do like, though, um, on the very last page of this page 20 the uh the issue where they're all in the hospital bed mm -hmm. i didn't like the particular writings of that panel but i really liked the art of that panel yeah. like it was very fine detailed in the way that every single x-men was lying in bed but they were all doing something different it wasn't just mm -hmm. like copy and paste i i That's really right. liked that panel they did a good job on that and then nurse Jean walks in with plates of uh you know milk and cookies or whatever um because you know she's Jean and that's she's her job a lady in a nurse yeah. outfit even all right well that wraps up x-men number 13 i guess i should end it by saying enough said but we have x-men number 14 among us walk the sentinels yeah good um, issue it was such a good issue so i questionable coloring and art on the sentinels aside mm -hmm. i have to say that if i had seen this cover and seen the art for the sentinel on the cover mm -hmm. i would have i don't know if i would have bought it that great elvis pose and all um <laughs> that's exactly what that like, is that's like it's like yeah. how, how big of a threat are they facing from the from the robot doing jazz hands <laughs> spirit fingers oh boy once again um, jack kirby but mm -hmm. then when, that is a Kirby but, cover. But now when you get into the interior art and this first page is fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So um again, we've got, you know, artist formerly known as Jay Gavin, who's doing the interiors. And the interiors, like you said, they're great. They are so good. Um, I am curious. I didn't look this up and I should have maybe, but I am curious as to what Gavin was working on for DC at the time that he couldn't uh you know, he had to hide his work at Marvel. From well, the were they were they uh, in some kind of exclusive contract? I had thought that they were. I thought that's the way the I, comics industry was back then. I and still is. So he, so here's something interesting about the comics industry. Uh, so early on, the distributor of Marvel Comics was DC Comics. Mm -hmm. Like DC literally distributed the Marvel books. Um, and and I, I just love... Like when Fantastic Four first came out, um, you know, the, the people at DC had said to people at Marvel, we'll distribute your books, but you can only have eight titles a month. You can only release eight issues a month. And uh, they're like, great. Okay. So they had, they already had their eight books. So what else were they going to do? Well, they did a ninth book, which was the Fantastic Four. And what they did was they handed them all to DC and said, okay, here's our eight books a month, wink, wink. And DC said, cool, we'll publish them. We'll, we'll distribute them. So they distributed them and not counting them, I guess, because Fantastic Four was number nine. Um, <laughs> but there was a lot of like top secret, like sneaking behind somebody's back to do something because, you know, they still were competitors. Um, and uh, 
And yeah, it, it, I, I don't know. I find this interesting. It was definitely an exclusive contract with DC that 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 Werner Roth had. So I, I am very curious, though, of what he was working on. He may have actually been working on a romance book. So in this, we've got art by, of course, or writing by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby doing the layouts, uh, Jay Gavin, of course, on art, Vince Coletta on inks, and Artie Simic doing the lettering. And I am holding out for the day that I see the name of the colorist on the panel because I just, I can't wait. I just, I want to, I want to know who's coloring all these issues. Um at any rate. So he was drawing Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. We talked oh, about that great. one in one of the other episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know, Drew, if you've ever seen any of those. Um but... just the memes. <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's so many memes. It's yeah. just it's just Lois trying to marry somebody yeah. new every issue to make Superman jealous. And yeah, I can I can <laughs> totally see it. I, yeah, that's that because it it was a romance book, you know this this issue, you know, Lois tries to marry a man with three legs, you know this issue, you know that Lois marries a man tries to marry a man in an iron lung. This, which she should know, that's not going to make Superman jealous. That's going to make him go, well, that's really wonderful of Lois. I think that that guy in the iron lung deserves a nice wife. Love conquers you know? all. <laughs> now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that also the series where where he had a relationship with Supergirl? Uh, wait, weren't they cousins? I don't yes. know. They were cousins. Yes. And well, and cousins. it was like an early Elseworlds title where they went to another planet or another. Yeah, I thought it was Superman's Earth. girlfriend, Lois Lane, because like she got super jealous about it. Hey, man, nothing says love and like keeping it with your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> well, at one point, remember, don't now, don't forget. At one point, Lois Lane <laughs> fell in love with a horse. Yes. So don't. So did Supergirl. That's true. Both of them. Was, <laughs> just to be clear, so that it's not creepy. It oh, wasn't. No, no, it no. Was Supergirls was creepy. <laughs> Super it Girl. wasn't. It wasn't the same horse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Oh my god. Yeah, boy. and that's why I have not read Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. <laughs> this, this, okay, and this is why Werner <laughs> Roth had to change his name. Yes, um, <laughs> you just no one wanted to hire him. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go and look that up and make sure my continuity is right, but I'm not sure if that was the same thing. But that definitely happened. Oh wow! This this book club has gone in so many weird directions. Um. <laughs> Ah, all right. So obviously there's some really cool things that happen here. Again, we realized that Bobby is skilled in the use of ropes and tying people up. Um, his Japanese arts have paid off. Uh, <laughs> we learned that we learned that Warren has gone to military school and split from military school to go to the uh, X mansion. Um, and this is also the issue of the X-Men where mutant anti-mutant ex hate explodes. Like this yeah. is where the mutant menace is printed in the newspapers and people are just going nuts. Um, and of course this becomes a thing from now and forever. Okay. Uh, 
it's all downhill from here as far as mutants being viewed as as good guys. Uh, wow. <laughs> so I I like this a lot. I, I like the idea of this being the historical game changing issue in the X-Men in the X-Men universe. I just uh, I, I can't get over like uh, just the first page that art for the angel is so nice is just as good as anything in any book today yep yeah absolutely absolutely i mean that harness he's wearing is ridiculous yeah (laughs) i mean there's care in detail of his feathers and his cost is you know his outfit uh and even the ridiculous harness it's like you know it's like this is serving absolutely no purpose but it's still it it, the shadow falls right the the buckles Uh, the anatomy of the of the body, the human, you know, the human body is perfect. Yes. Now, uh, now, I I I wish that I had power over, you know, I want to make a suggestion to the artists and writers of X Men. Uh, everybody's got their own thing, right? Iceman is sitting in a block of ice, which looks kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angel's got this harness helping his wings out. Uh, Beast is on crutches. And Cyclops has a fishbowl over his head, which, God damn, I wish he kept it. You know, this <laughs> that looks like a fantastic addition to his suit. I just, I love that. I love that. I don't know what that does for him as far as his eye beams. That's his recharger helmet. I don't know, but it's it's, it's connected to like a tank of some kind. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's <laughs> this, fish tank water. Yeah, that's why I can't do it. It's Cyclops, <laughs> Cyclops is huffing paint in the danger room. Yeah. <laughs> they can't, he can't. They just they're, he's going to come out talking with a really high pitch. Maybe voice, his you know? maybe his eye beam is powered off of hydrogen, and is he's just soaking hydrogen hydrogen back into his eyeballs, and he's connected to a hydrogen tank. Jesus fucking Christ, Drew! This is why we invited you to the book club. <laughs> Your scientific <laughs> mind is just amazing. I don't know. I'm trying to make it make sense. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> so, so yeah, basically what happens is there's this uh, anthropologist named Bolivar Trask. Yeah. Bolivar Trask. What is up is... with that? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. Bottom of page two on the left. Uh-huh. I've never seen Iceman with that much facial detail. Yeah, isn't that a beautiful angelic look he has? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, even look at the look at the color coloration for shadow. So this this face I have seen multiple times over the years since I was in high school, and the reason is because this is the face that they use on pictures in the role playing game books. Uh, you know, when they do modules using the X Men universe, yep. this is the face that they use for Iceman on his his like stat card and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, which I think is funny because everybody else they use art from the seventies, and here we go, nineteen sixty-five. Let's do do this like angelic, smiling little ice man, uh, <laughs> you know. Which which I think is I think is fantastic. But that is a there's a lot of detail there. Yeah, that's his that's his grinder profile pic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, so Bolivar Trask starts talking about how mutants are you know, going to create a lot of problems in the future. They're going to take over. It's, it's this whole, like, almost like a Hitler rhetoric where he's warning people that, you know, they're going to take your jobs. They're going to take your women. They're going to take your, you know, your money. They're going to take over the world. And, and people are like, holy crap, 
all these, you know, he's doing a press conference and all these reporters go back and they print in their newspaper, Mutant Menace. Um, and uh, this, in my mind, is the greatest enemy that the X-Men have ever and probably will ever face. It's, you know, it, it's earth changing. It's, it's, you know, it's mind blowing how big it is. Uh, and, and I, I already knew this because by the time I started reading comics, the Sentinels were already a thing. They were already in everybody's way. Days of future past had already happened and, and gone. And you just know that, that from here on out, they're going to show up in like, I don't know, two to five issues every year, <laughs> trying to screw the X-Men over somehow. Yep. It's, it's just really intense. Well, even for the younger generation, like my, my first experience with X-Men was the X-Men animated series from the 90s. Yeah. The very first episode of that show is uh, Jub Jubilee escaping from a Sentinel. Yep. Like that, yep. that's just, it's still the thing is the Sentinels, which is crazy to me. Let's take a moment to mourn Morph. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Cyclops was a dick in that cartoon. <laughs> Let's leave him. <laughs> one, of the, um, one of the things I like, I didn't understand the beast's shoes, like why he had to have shoes with hinges, like to let his toes out. Yeah, they had to breathe. That was weird. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I had that question too. Uh, I will, I'll tell you what though. Go back and reread the first two panels of page four really slow, but put on nine inch nails closer in the background while you do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's a lot of straps. <laughs> yes, of indeed. Straps. <laughs> of course, Xavier's like, I'm going to, I'm going to have to like debate this guy in public, you know? Um, That's a also, wild move to me. Yeah, totally wild. But he is, he is passing as human, so he's not feeling threatened by it. Now, what he's also not feeling threatened by is the fact that, you know, this guy shows up with sentinels who can apparently detect mutants, and they're not noticing Xavier at all. Um, I don't think so, he knew that, though, until... No, until, no, no, uh, no, of course he didn't. But, but they don't notice him, which I find kind of weird. Mm -hmm. um, I have in my notes, which is kind of kind of meant to spur all kinds of conversation is Bolivar Trask is a bitch, which uh, <laughs> you know, he really, he really is. How does anybody give him any kind of credit or even listening to him? Because he's, why do they listen to him? He's such an asshole. He comes off as being an asshole, a tyrant, you know? Well, he's an anthropologist. What do you expect? Of course. <laughs> that so, was the so, thing that really got me is like how he's an anthropologist of all things. They make him an anthropologist and he can create, these robots the yeah. anthropologists that i've known have been the most liberal people that you could possibly imagine there's no way they would be like we have to kill this certain group of yeah. people it's totally stupid well, that's why they're anthropologists because they're studying you yeah. know this so mm -hmm. so there is there is a bit of a, a sequence um i don't remember what page it's on but xavier's going through this the the mag you know the newspaper and there's like this article about um, the fate of mankind if mutants are not driven out uh, as predicted by Oliver Trask. And, you know, it's some big headed alien looking guy being carried around in a, 
you know, oh, yeah. carriage by, yeah. by humans. The artist's interpretations of the fate of mankind if mutants are not driven out, as predicted by Dr. Bolivar Trask. Yeah, yeah. So this is what makes Xavier, I think page six, this is what makes him go, okay, I'm going to contact the TV crews. I'm going to have an open open forum with Dr. Bolivar Trask and, and you know, just basically publicly say, look, mutants are not not bad. And so when they do, of course, uh, this is when, you know, when the uh, the Sentinels show up. Okay, um, and just on page six, what you're with the part you're just talking about, yeah, the art in that lower right panel. Oh my God, that's so awesome! The shadow play and the on Xavier's head on Xavier's face. It's it's yeah. again the what the best picture of Xavier thus far in any of the books. Well, the shadow play behind him, even if you look, right. there's like the window with the light coming in through it. It's it's just really cool. Yeah, it is. And, it's, and it's there is a lot of shadow work there. It's like something out of a out of a horror book. Yeah, yeah. And it's absolutely. it's just like it it. I mean, it doesn't fit with anything else on on the page, but it's still absolutely magnificent. It looks I, it looks very seventies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It does. Very so, ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. So in this issue. Um, you know, like I said, this issue, they're trying to hammer home how humans hate and fear mutants. Um, but they also, it's also another issue where Cyclops comments about how he hates his own eyes and, and, and how, you know, he's so, I don't know, I, I think you're supposed to feel bad for him because he despises his own mutant abilities because to him it's a curse, you know, not being able to look at somebody without glasses on. You know, I, I wear glasses. You can just shut up. Um, <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? It, it's it's almost like they're they're talking about how humans should hate and fear mutants, and he's kind of in a way agreeing with that because he is fearful of his own powers. Um. Uh, what, oh, there's a. I, I don't know where it is, and I've looked and couldn't find it. But there is a panel someplace where some guys use the words muties they call yeah. them they say yeah. muty, tommy muty tommy yeah. and right wingers uh it's That's on page a... seven it's the it's the middle panel on the left that is hilarious um and while we're looking at that panel actually i want to i want to go back to page six with a nice xavier's shadow play and he's he's talking to the, the network and he says he wants to do the debate and then they say to him well arrange it immediately sir it will be a privilege to present a scientist of your stature on our network and then in that panel we were just talking about where they're calling everyone commies and muties one of the guys and i thought this was just a funny juxtaposition because it's the very next page says who is this guy i've never heard of him before i bet he's a commie." <laughs> yeah 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 uh where does he get off calling us ignorant i've never heard of him before he's i bet he's communist yeah nah he looks more <laughs> like he looks more like one of them right wingers to me which i think is hysterical <laughs> yeah that's not backwards yeah he probably he he's... probably voted for trump um you know <laughs> no i think it's hysterical i think that's great um but, but yeah. no see professor xavier would vote for trump and then mind wipe you into thinking that he voted for Hillary. <laughs> professor x is a jerk <laughs> do not flashy thing i bet you you know what i bet you he just wouldn't vote and he'd mind wipe you into thinking he did vote <laughs> uh, yeah 
So who'd you vote for, Xavier? Look into my eyes. He's going to read your thoughts, find who you voted for, and then mind wipe you into thinking you voted for them too. Yep. So I have uh, to say that I'm really disappointed with the artwork on the Sentinels. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, I, and it's, I think it's more, <laughs> more the coloring than the art itself. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. So the, because this looks like, this looks like a six-year-old colored it. See, I, I, I like this. And the reason I like it is because I'm so used to what the Sentinels look like today. Like the big purple, you know, I mean, they're fine. I, I think they look great as these big purple monsters, but I'm looking at some 1960s art where they're only about 15 feet tall. Maybe if that, maybe even 12 feet tall um, with blue and red and yellow faces. And I'm like, I just did not expect that at all. It was totally <laughs> unexpected, but I'm kind of I kind of dig it just because it's different. I also think it's hilarious that they each have numbers printed on their yeah. chest. Well, I just I just felt like the the there's there's spots where there's like a lack of texture, mm-hmm. but there's it's it's inconsistent throughout the book. Like the first page where they appear is page eight, and it's like. So it, it looks like the X in the middle of their chest is just kind of drawn on with crayons. And then it looks like the belt was drawn on with a crayon and the accents on their boots again. And then you, but then the next page and it's like, as it gets closer, then it, but on the, on page nine, the first panel, the belt looks like part. It's just like one big chest plate with a belt. Yeah. But then the next panel, the belt has, has features and is raised up off of the the breastplate and it's a separate piece and it, and it and it looks like the sentinels wearing shorts yeah there's creases in it yeah yep it just it it's it's inconsistent and it's it and it's all in the coloring yeah the my scan that i have for this it's the first few pages are pretty poor quality and so it's extremely monocrat monochromatic for me the, the sentinels are they're all you can't really tell that they're magenta and purple and their face is just like a, a solid block of like peach colored. Ah. Well, I don't even see magenta here in, in my on Marvel Unlimited. They're flat out blue and red and yellow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. They're a toner cartridge. Kind of yeah. They're a toner cartridge. Um so this is great. The the Sentinels, first thing they do is they come out. And they, as a display, like Bolivar Trash was like, I'll show you. I'll show exactly you. Yeah, show yeah there that we go. does show up. Yeah, that's the that's... coloring that I have. Oh, wow. That's more like what they look like today. I got yeah. It's exactly with the same colorations. Yeah. It's a it's a magenta arms and it's like a, a plum purple body and gloves and boots and then like a, a, a Caucasian skin toned face. So what that tells me is that Marvel Unlimited colored it incorrectly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. That's yeah. what I see right there. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, what happens right away is Bolivar Trask says, "Come out, and I'll show you my sentinels." And they come out, and he says, "Like, let me display how how they work to my every command." And they're like, he says, uh, "Sentinel number six, capture Professor Xavier." And then Sentinel reaches down and grabs him. I'm like, "All right, that's great." But then they attack Bolivar Trask. Mm-hmm because their robot mind is much more powerful than his puny human brain. I mean, come on, Sentinel. He is a world-renowned anthropologist. Um, <laughs> he's not a roboticist, though. Who would have so thought that he programmed his robots wrong? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's what you get wah, wah. Bring, bringing a, an anthropologist to a cyberneticist conference. <laughs> um, so, of course, he zaps him with, I don't know, what looks like a flashlight, but Bolivar Trask is on his knees and he starts to fall onto the ground. And Xavier's like, that's okay, I'll help him. Oh, wait, I can't help him. I can't use my, my mental powers against a robot. But my question is here. Didn't he, in the Fantastic Four issue we read, take down the awesome and or the Mad Thinker's awesome android with his mind? Yeah, he yes, did. he did. Mm -hmm. And and if I remember correctly, the quote was, "He used his brain to touch the robot in a certain spot," uh, <laughs> which sounds perverted, but it did the, the job. The night so... is right for love. <laughs> so, I want to he touch you where my brain can go. Why didn't he do that? I Why think that's just that? a case of like in the the first few issues of the X-Men and, and the Fantastic Four is assumedly because it was pretty early on in the X-Men's life. Everyone's power set was like not really set in stone yet. Like everyone was doing weird random stuff. Like Magneto with his uh oh astral projection. Astral projection. Like where did that come from? But yeah. and so I think this is just a case of them kind of narrowing down everyone's powers to be more consistent. Okay. Um, I really like the art in the panel on page nine. It's the the second panel up on top, the the one on the right, where Xavier calls the X Men, and it's just a panel of like his, you know, it's like his bust with the Sentinel behind him kind of holding his shoulders and he's using his mind to say, X-Men, X-Men, Professor X calling, condition red, condition red, come at once, follow thought impulses, come at once. But he, he's having such a hard time, he can't even, you know, think a complete sentence. It's follow thought impulses. He's starting to talk like Kazar. Um, <laughs> but, but just want to, you just, you want it to be a little shorter. Guys, we're in the shit again. He's kind of got the same expression as Juggernaut had in that one issue too. He's just the art is cool. Getting the ready. Cool. He's kind of constipated looking. And and of course, he has to let them know that it's him. This is Professor X speaking into your brain like only I can do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but at any rate, uh, what's neat about it is just I just think it's some amazing, amazing art. Um, and he's interrupting a very fun time at the coffee at go-go which is one of my favorite places in the x-men comics <laughs> i do like that they keep coming back to that and it's kind of they have the slow burn like flirtation between bobby and zelda yeah and it's just like you only see a panel every every what three issues maybe but it's like consistently and slowly going somewhere i like that well, it's funny because, yeah, it, you know, Bobby's getting ready to ask Zelda out, but Professor has to cock block him and throw out the whammy. Um, you know, you got to come. There's something going on. And they're like, oh, crap. Uh, it's still better than Journey into Mystery where Donald Blake cock blocked himself. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you right now, he had decided to go out with Jane. She would have given him a beager in the cab on the way to dinner. Is that a hammer in your pocket or are you happy to see me? Um, that's so great. You know, Beast didn't even have time to take his shoes off in this issue. Um, Good thing they had hinges. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is, oh, there's a nod to Superman in here. 
because the beast mentions mentions having to change in a phone booth. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I think was a really cool thing to toss in. Um, so of course the the X Men rush out, you know, to Professor Xavier and the Sentinels are starting to wreck the place because Bolivar Trask is like, wait, this is bullshit. I'm your boss, and they're like, yeah, we don't think so. We're gonna take over. Okay. Um, so Iceman and Beast get there, I think, first, if I remember correctly. They get there before. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they rode the they rode Bobby's ice path like a slip and slide in this yeah. one. And, was... and of course, Cyclops has to take a taxi. Yep. So um, but he mistakenly or accidentally blasts a hole in the taxi cab uh, because taxi cab drive driver drives like crap. And well, that just pisses a bunch of people off because he's a damn mutie. Uh, but he he does he does get to the TV studio where they're doing this debate, and of course starts blasting stuff and and uh, there's so there's we're talking about shading and stuff. Look on page fifteen in the bottom corner. There is another picture of Xavier with some shadowy, you know, with like a shadow on his face. Um, in my issue on on Marvel Unlimited, it's it's shaded kind of weird because it looks it kind of looks out of place with his his coloring and then all of a sudden there's like a gray shadow in one certain spot yeah um, i was thinking about that do you think that they may have added that in it, it it's possible i mean it's very possible you said you've got the original there drew what does it look yeah. like for you uh, i'll, I'll be page? honest it looks it, it page 15 shifted. it looks a little better in in drew's art there because uh, i can't because the because the the coloring yeah yeah it's it's a it's all white with a with a shadow on it that comes you know it's uh it's it's kind of greenish it's like a but it's but it's it's uh, it's all part of the effect (laughs) Mm -hmm. there we go yeah cr in in the one we read and they colorized everything weird yeah they they gave it to ted turner Yeah, yeah you've been colorized yeah this one it's it's very much you know gray scale but instead of it being gray it's green scale yeah i feel, I feel like i should be calling the x-men to me <laughs> to me my x-men well that's the bbeg for our campaign well, i'm going look, to attract you with my emissions look at cyclops on page 14 top middle or just yeah. middle this one he's got that same coloring right under the mask On page four, I think, yeah, Rob's got it there. Yeah, no, that's. I think they change colors. That's that's not what it looks like at all on mine. Okay, but I think it looks a little bit better here than it did than did with Professor Xavier. It came across a little bit better, and that might have to do with the inker as well as the color. Well, see what the the story with Cyclops is on page fourteen is that you know he was riding in the cab, his glasses fell off. He shot a hole in the roof. The cab driver slammed on the brakes, and then his face slammed into the ashtray. And that's what that's what he's got on his face. And uh, on page fourteen, would buy that. Mm-hmm. Your head's too shiny, Professor X. Apparently, <laughs> that that kind of shading does come up a few times. Uh, I was just looking at page eighteen, and, and the, you know there was there was an image of a Beast earlier in the issue with his feet colored gray like that that's because he didn't let him breathe well Um, yeah (laughs) clearly 
So, so in this issue, uh, yeah, of course, Bobby's beating off girls with clubs. There's one on the Superman. Yeah, he is. Um, I, I really like this again. I'm just, I'm just gonna go. You know, years ago when I was reading X Men, I wasn't really impressed with Sentinels. I mean, I knew of them. I knew the, the legacy. I knew, I, you know, I read a bunch of X, uh, Sentinel issues, but I was, I was never, like, okay, they're a big bad menace. But it's not until I, I read the issue where they started, because where they start, it's they're really not all that bad. They, you know, there's like ten of them, and you could probably take them down if you had the right tools. Uh, they become something that takes over the world, and they kill not only most of the mutants, but a shit ton of uh, you know Avengers and the Hulk and everybody else. So this uh, this issue was just really cool for me to read. Yeah, no, I, I really, I don't, like I said, I felt like the, the tension in this one wasn't as manufactured as it was in the first juggernaut issue. It felt like that, that everything that happens all through the issue drives to the last page. Yeah. It's more organic drives to which, yeah, it's right. It's organic and it organically drives to the next issue, which is the first time that's really happened and happened well in this book Mm -hmm. well um how this whole thing ends of course is uh it doesn't it's a cliffhanger they're fighting the sentinels the sentinels take bolivar trask and fly off to go to well their secret hidden base uh which leaves the x-men to go whoops i guess we better figure where out that you know figure out where that is and so they follow and uh the page ends with a caption, a big fat caption in the in the panel, the last panel, that says sensational news starting this issue in answer to the most unprecedented demand in fandom history, the X-Men will be published monthly. So don't dare miss starting startling revelations in store for you next ish. In this in this, the magazine that you lifted to new heights of Marvel Greatness. The end. That wow, what a cliffhanger. Um Gotta love a good Cliffy. I am looking forward to reading issue 15. One thing that happened in this issue that I wanted to point out that we haven't yet seen, and it was I think was slightly momentous, was it's the first time Jean Grey demonstrated any sort of flight capability. Ah, yeah, that's right. She, that's right. She, she teleported, quote-unquote, herself out of the window telekinetically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was not, when she not was on the train, right? Yeah, not mm-hmm. only that, but like her powers took an impressive step up mm-hmm. because I mean, she was moving on a train and Warren was flying and she snatched him out of the sky and pulled him down to the roof of the train. I mean, that is it freaked him out a little, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. it did. Hmm. Well, I she's mean, been practicing. It's it. I mean, it's 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 a big leap forward for her power set. Yeah. I hope that it, she's not back to knitting in a couple of. Well, but like, she, I, holy I kind crap! Of, <laughs> I kind of felt like she was underutilized in the last couple issues. Oh, she totally was. Yeah, yeah she totally. I mean, yeah, definitely she is. But I mean, like we, I, I, I really don't think that Stan Lee is, has talked to women, so he doesn't know how to. <laughs> Well, he, as I said before, he, you know, his wife was like, you need to decide what you want to do with your life. And he's like, all right, I'll write X-Men or I'll write, you know, I'll write Spider-Man, I'll write comics. Um, but yeah, I, 
he certainly didn't know how young people act, young women especially. No. Yeah. Especially well, not not at not on the on the eve of the sexual revolution. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this regardless of what you know, mainstream, you know, the counterculture beatniks were <laughs> definitely even not even close to accurate. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, but do say, but I'm, do we know that he's actually writing all the dialogue? No. Well, good yeah, point. I think he's definitely writing the dialogue. Uh, whether or not he's writing the plots is is questionable. But he's okay, writing yeah, the plot. layout we know he's not. But yeah, um, okay. Well, so I'm going to give this uh, this issue a thumbs up. I really enjoyed this issue. I am enjoying. I enjoyed the funky look of the uh, of the Sentinels. I enjoyed that the douchebag called Bolivar Trask got taken out like right away by his own monsters. And uh, you know, I'm curious to see what's going to happen next. So they definitely did it for me in this issue, as far as uh, you know, got my attention and grabbed my interest. So. Yeah, I give this one a thumbs up too. I, I think that I would like to. I think I m- might like to go back and find the. The version of the issue that that Drew has now, I want to mm-hmm. almost look at them side by side and see, you know, what it was supposed to originally look like versus what we got on the Marvel Unlimited. Well, you remember that I've been talking about all those missing Wolverine issues. I'm wondering if it isn't because they're doing some kind of alteration to these as they digitize them. Well, so they they do they do quite a bit of that, and I mentioned earlier the Hulk issue. Uh, another thing that they do is, in some cases, like in the Fantastic Four issues, um, you guys might remember how they did like pinups in in yeah. the comic books, uh-huh. um, and those pinups originally tended to be kind of in the middle of the book, but Marvel Unlimited for some reason has put them at the end of the stories. So they're at the end of the book. And in, in some cases, they will use letters pages. In other cases, there are no letters pages. But every issue had a letters page. They do quite a bit of alterations. And they're, you know, what they leave out and what they add in. It, it's just, I, I don't know who decides that or why they decide it. But I would like to go back and look at some of those scans next to the, the Marvel Unlimited version as well. So yeah, no, I, I yeah. do. I think it might be fun. Yeah. Uh, so Drew, how do you feel about this issue? I like this issue a lot. I I especially liked the um the very last panel where the the base rises up, like that's a lot of firepower coming after, like that's just the the best way you could do a cliffhanger. Like this massive yeah. underground base with massive laser turrets just comes and essentially decimates the X Men. Well, it's it's funny they go into the master chamber. It's almost like master mold. Mm-hmm. They do. I think they, they call they called it master mold. Yeah. No, they call it master chamber in that in that issue. That, well, and they, that's where they're all created. They also call it master mold, though. They said he's referencing something called master mold. Yes. Oh. Okay. So that wraps up our reading for for this this episode. Um, I would like to let you know some of what we're going to be reading uh, uh, next few segments. Um, next episode, we're going to go into X-Men 15 and 16. Then we're going to go into 17 and 18, followed by X-Men number 19, 
and then Strange Tales number 120. Ooh, no time for love, Dr. Strange. Well, it's not Dr. Strange, but I will tell you that it's also an issue that, due to my fault, I guess I I should say, we should have read a long time ago, um, even before the Fantastic Four issue, because this is the, the first time Human Torch and Iceman meet, and they team up. Um, it is way different than any Fantastic Four issue I've ever read, as well as way different than any X-Men issue I've ever read. But it's it's just a story with Iceman and the Human Torch, and it's kind of cool. So that will be the next that's the next six issues that we're going to read. Um, I've been for a long time, well, since our second meeting, I've been going, damn it, we should have read Strange Tales 120, just because it it came before the Fantastic Four. And I do think it's a little bit important because you get to see how these guys get along. And uh, and it, it kind of deals with, uh, I think, Iceman's thoughts on romance and his love life. So <laughs> <laughs> last thoughts before you go, you guys. This was fun. I really am looking forward to seeing how the new art progresses as because i do think that um like you said jack kirby's <laughs> jack kirby's art was of a time and it was not superhero time <laughs> i think kirby that's, is yeah, better at the right. science fiction stuff honestly yeah i am like like i said before we we started recording like it was very hard for me to read the first the first seven, eight, maybe nine issues. Like they were very dense, very wordy. But it's yeah. it really in the, the last the last five issues, it really opened up and it's starting to actually feel like a, a cohesive epic tale where consequences are are starting to play a role in the story. Like their actions are are actually they mean things now. And so it's 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 nice to I'm really excited to see where the story goes because it's actually starting to become a story. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No more no more monster of the week. Mm-hmm. Right? This is where it this is where it kind of ends. Well, it's nice um, to not be doing a Magneto, another Magneto and, you know, Brotherhood. Well, issue Magneto's gone. Same He's as the others. Never coming back. Wow. Yeah, we'll yeah. never see Magneto ever again. Never ever. Um, uh of course there's no spoilers in saying that magneto will be back fairly soon but god i want to read what's happening to him i want to know what kind of torture that stranger is putting him through um (laughs) like you know he goes to the stranger's room the stranger's chambers and it's like all rubber you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyway um drew i want to thank you for joining us and uh i do hope that you will continue to join us I will. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Uh, Thanks a lot, you guys. And I guess that uh, we will catch you later. See you later, guys. Woohoo! Bye.